Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Looking forward to continuing our conversation on energy and oil markets with Jay Dobson, who is joining me here from our podcast studio right here in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, Jay is the Energy and Utilities Analyst for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Jay, it's great to be with you today in person. A lot to catch up on. So looking forward to our conversation. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, Dan, thanks for having me. And it's just great to be back in person in the studio with you. Absolutely. So, Jay, where to begin? I know oil markets have been top of mind as of late. A couple of things just to acknowledge here at the start. We're fresh off the recent OPEC Plus meetings, as well as the European Union's maritime oil embargo uh, takes effect on December 5th. That's coming up, something to be mindful of. So with these considerations, Jay, in mind, what is CIO's thinking behind the most preferred view on crude oil and how might prices trend through year-end and even into 2023? Yeah, Dan, it's a really interesting question. I mean, I think to really understand the current environment in in oil and quite frankly, all energy commodities, we really need to rewind sort of seven or so years and and recognize, you know, globally, we've been under investing in these commodities, uh, oil and gas for the last seven years. So supply is tighter than we would have otherwise found. Then we have the recovery from the pandemic, which is driving global demand growth, you know, which leaves us in this pretty tight supply demand environment. You know, I'd say as we look at 2022 and into 2023, you know, demand has been a little less robust. The growth is still there. It just hasn't quite been as robust as we expect. A lot of that's driven by what we're watching in China with their zero COVID policy. Um, But, you know, I I do think that begins to uh, sort of loosen up in, in 2023. But as you pointed out earlier, we also have this EU oil embargo um, that takes effect on on December 5th and affects, you know, oil from Russia that's transported on the water to the EU, which now has to go to zero. It's about a million barrels uh, a day right now. Um, So, you know, it all combines to leave us with a pretty constructive view. We did recently uh, take our oil price forecast for next year down a little bit, but it's still significantly above where we are right now. I think the real issue, and this will be a great transition to energy equities, we really need to focus on energy reliability. Some people call that security, but energy reliability, energy affordability, as well as decarbonization. I think those are three legs to a stool that really we can't throughout the next several decades through transition, we can't ever really uh, divorce any of those three from our vernacular around energy. So there's always something to be mindful of, no shortage of factors out there influencing the price of oil on a global scale. So Jay, thank you for bringing us up to speed there. Maybe we can pivot a bit, talk about positioning. As mentioned, you do cover the U.S. energy sector, among others, for the chief investment office. I do know that CIO recently reaffirmed its most preferred view on the U.S. energy sector. Uh, This against the backdrop of tighter monetary policy. We've been tracking that throughout the year, as well as uncertainty in the equity markets. We're mindful of all of that volatility out there. So, Jay, can you walk us through the thinking here, that most preferred view on U.S. energy, and why an energy allocation makes sense in this environment? Yeah, Dan, I I love the question because, you know, we get this question a 
lot simply because we've been overweight energy since, oh, early in 2021, so 18 months or so now, and it's worked really well. Um, the question is, wow, should it continue to work? And I'd have to take us back to the last question and just talk about, look, we've got a very tight supply-demand picture, so that's going to help oil prices. So essentially, the price these companies sell their product at is going to be well-supported. Um, then you have the concept of capital discipline. You know, these companies are, you know, maintaining discipline around what they reinvest in their business. They're growing their oil and gas production, but they're growing it to maintain the adequate returns for investors. And then, of course, they're taking the free cash flow that results from that capital discipline and giving it back to shareholders in the form of dividends and, and share repurchases. So I think all of that really combines to to point out that, that I think energy remains a, a pretty attractive space in the market, even if, quite frankly, you know, we see a bit of an earnings recession, uh, as you were mentioning, in, uh, in, in the sort of better part of 2023. I, I think earnings in, in the energy space are, are going to, you know, look better, uh, quite frankly, than the rest of the market. And then I'd probably have to finish with the, the last point, and that is I still believe energy as a sector is underrepresented in in, in diversified equity portfolios. You know, we've had ESG, which we e use ESG integration in our equity uh, analysis uh, very, very significantly. Um, but I think it's caused some people to exclude certain sectors, uh, which I do believe is a mistake, taking us back to that energy reliability, affordability, and decarbonization theme I mentioned earlier. But I think it's underrepresented. So if you put underrepresentation along with the positive fundamental pictures we see, uh, I think the reaffirmation of our most preferred view on the U.S. energy sector really makes a lot of sense in the current environment. So, Jay, you mentioned this phrase capital discipline when speaking about U.S. energy companies. Could you explain a bit for our listeners, our clients, what you mean by that phrase capital discipline and the impact there to equity investors in particular? Yeah, Dan, you know, we get this question a lot because now capital discipline rolls off my tongue. You know, when we rewind again to seven or 10 years ago, you know, the, the U.S. energy sector, you know, they sort of viewed themselves as a growth sector. So they took almost every dollar they generated in their business and reinvested it back in their business. Uh, and very often, depending upon, you know, you're in a commodity business, depending upon where the commodity price was, their returns were somewhere between poor and non-existent. Um, and so I think when you got through 2018 and into 2019, you know, investors sort of threw up their hands and said, you know, we're done with this. And you heard a bit of it in the broader media around, oh, you know, companies are walking away from energy companies. I think it was more investors saying, look, managements, you have to give me a better return or I'm not going to invest here. So what companies have done is they fix their capital budgets once a year. Changes in commodity prices don't tend to change that. They'll change it annually, but they won't change it within the year uh, unless sort of extraordinary things like inflation happen. Um, they do grow. I think within capital discipline, a lot of people believe, well, these companies aren't growing their production. They are. We're probably going to grow U.S. oil production by about 5% this year. Um, the key is, you know, that still leaves after you, you invest the capital necessary 
necessary to grow your production by 5%, you still got a lot of cash left over. So that capital discipline, fixing capital spending, allows a lot of cash left over to buy back shares, increase dividends. So I'd say at its core, this capital discipline is a balanced approach to the use of operating cash flow and free cash flow for investors. And that's why, you know, it's sort of a key part of our overweight on the energy sector. You brought up something, Jay, a few moments ago that jumped out at me with respect to earnings recession. I understand that the chief investment office is, in fact, calling for an earnings recession to be on the horizon. So I'm curious to what extent might the energy group be impacted? And I know we're just kicking off early innings here of the Q3 reporting season. Can you walk us through your expectations a bit for Q3? Yeah, yeah, Dan. Uh, David Lefkowitz, who who is our uh, key, our head equity strategist here at at uh, UBS's CIO, recently reduced his earnings uh, forecast for 2023, which uh, is now a, a decline in earnings year over year, 2023 over 2022. Um, and that is exactly as you point out. It's it's sort of you know, demand impacting, you know, the odds of a recession rising. As I said earlier, I think energy holds up pretty well. You know, reality is we've got a very tight supply demand environment. You've got a a situation where even in a recession, I would argue oil prices probably have a floor somewhere in that $70 realm, uh, and I expect it to probably be higher than that. Uh, I I think you still have to pay attention to demand, but in a period in 2023 where maybe, you know, the U.S. and, and the European Union are moving towards a weaker economy, maybe China is strengthening. So, you know, global demand still grows. Um, but I, I would again argue that, that energy earnings should hold up pretty well uh, in this environment. Um, for third quarter, which, you know, we're right beginning today and, and going to be continuing through for the next couple of weeks, uh, I would argue these should still be better than consensus expectations. Now, to be clear, we had really good earnings in the second quarter, much better than consensus expectations. I I would argue it's probably going to be a little less good, but it will still be better than consensus. Um, And the key underpin to that is, you know, these companies are maintaining capital discipline. They are making sure that they're investing to earn very attractive returns, and they're still giving a lot of this capital back to shareholders. So I'm still pretty optimistic we're going to see really good earnings in the third quarter here. Uh, The key we'll be listening for on some of the conference calls that I don't think we'll get all the answers on will Mm -hmm. be just where is 2023 capital spending? But if I had to put a zip code, I'd, I'd expect uh, oil production growth to be similarly around 5% higher in 23 relative to 2022. Thank you for helping us to manage expectations. And as we begin to close out our conversation this morning, maybe we can spend a few moments here on positioning. I know just given how volatile the markets are, clarity when it comes to al- asset allocation is very helpful right now. So specific to the energy sector, which again, CIO does have a most preferred view on. How are you positioning within the subsectors and how are you recommending that investors be positioned uh, within their energy exposure more broadly? Yeah, it's an interesting question because, you know, we can say, you know, let's be overweight energy. But I think your question really is, okay, Jay, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. And the reality is, look, I would be overweight the integrateds, the large, large oil companies that do lots of things, uh, I think, are key to any portfolio, particularly if we're going to be in a volatile environment. Um, That, you know, really sort of holds with history. That's the way we would have played this in sort of any slowing environment that we looked at over the last 20 or 30 years. What's different? 
different, I think, is I think you should also be uh, along the uh, exploration and production companies, what we affectionately call the E&Ps, um, as well as the oil field services companies. And both of those are a reflection of that very, very tight supply-demand environment we mentioned earlier. I mean, again, I think oil demand globally is going to grow Oh, probably one, one and a half percent for the next three to five years. And supply is not growing that fast. We see a couple of, of, you know, sort of bright lights in in the middle of the decade, but we're going to remain in this tight environment for some time. There's just simply not a lot of places we can talk to to see a good supply. Uh, And that is a great backdrop for the EMPs and the oil field services. You might say the other side, where would we not want to be? I I would probably want to underweight the refiners and probably more neutral or underweight the midstream, just given that they don't have the same sort of uh, leverage to, to rising oil prices, rising gas prices, but I wouldn't eliminate those from uh, from my portfolio. Most importantly, what I would say, and it sort of harkens back to where we began this discussion, Dan, I do think energy as a sector is underrepresented in the average uh, equity portfolio. And as such, I would definitely have a conversation with uh, uh, each client's financial advisor saying, where is that as a percentage of energy is about 5% of the S&P 500. Um, I'd certainly say it should be that or a little higher, given our outlook for energy, certainly relative to the broader market. Well, Jay, very productive conversation this morning. I know we covered a lot of ground, a lot of value out here for our listeners, our clients. So thank you for dropping by. I do want to point out to our listeners and clients, of course, Jay does have research available for you up on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including his latest U.S. equities energy equity preference list update. Uh, that came out on September 26th. I know we did not cover MLPs, energy infrastructure, as well as utilities, but Jay has a couple of recent notes on those as well on MLPs on October 3rd and on utilities on October 14th. So all of those pieces available for you up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. For clients of UBS, of course, reach out to your UBS financial advisor if you would like to receive copies of those publications from Jay Dobson directly. But Jay, looking forward to having you back again soon. Thank you again for dropping by this morning. Dan, thanks so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation continuing. Absolutely. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 